Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hello, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you today? Doing all right. Good. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. Um, we always like to kick things off by saying, we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. Um, so if you were to kind of give, you know, that bio that maybe your publicist doesn't have, um, <laughs> who are you? Oh, wow. My publicist. Well, I don't have a publicist, so we'll start there. <laughs> <but> <laughs> um, yeah, I am a Dominican-American uh girl from the South, actually, a military brat who's lived in Texas for the last 20 years. So I guess I'm allowed to call myself a Texan now, which is really bizarre <laughs> to me. Um, you know, and I'm just, I'm a girl who loves to tell stories and write books, um, do yoga, eat cupcakes. And I actually really do enjoy long walks on the beach. I really <laughs> do. <laughs> I'm um, married though. So I, this is not a, this is not a Tinder well, so, ad or anything. So hopefully your partner <laughs> enjoys long walks on the beach as well then. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> um, uh, favorite, favorite type of cupcake? Ooh, you know, well, okay. So I, ha I have one that this place called Crave in Houston used to sell, but they don't anymore. And it was the white chocolate macadamia nut. And it was like, heaven in your mouth but they don't make it anymore and it makes me so sad how dare they give up on that so i'm kind of just a really like i'm really vanilla like i just like vanilla and like a little bit of simple frosting i, I also can indulge in a red velvet every once in a while there you yeah. go which i found Love out it. once is just like right. chocolate dyed red it made me very sad yeah, but doesn't it make you feel a little bit more decadent because you're reading something <laughs> called Red Velvet? It's, just, it's supposed to have that, you know, it's poetry, right? It's that yeah. it's that way to just to just shape it enough that it makes you feel like you're eating something that you can't afford. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, passions. When it comes mm -hmm. to things that you kind of get you going, that you're really excited about um, outside of the world of literature and poetry, mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess cupcakes. Um, what are those things that you find that you are that you love that are you truly that you're truly really passionate about that maybe find themselves into your poetry at some point? Yeah, you know I'm. Please tell me you have a cupcake poem though. <laughs> I don't have a cupcake poem, but my my uh, my first children's picture book does address my love of sweets. It's a little girl who loves sweet treats. Go. So there we go. Close enough. Um, and I do have a cupcake skirt, actually, that I wear when I do readings. Um, so yeah, baking for a while was something that I was passionate about. I don't know if I was passionate about it, but it was a fun hobby for, for quite a while. Um, but what, what really drives me and what I'm really passionate about is um, actually education. That was is something that I actually really love teaching kids and um, young kids especially. Um, and, and it kind of sounds like a cliche, like as a writer, that as a teacher. But no, I really do. Like it's, it's more than just like a job for me. It's something that I, I really, truly am passionate about. And I enjoy even like curriculum writing and planning creative lessons for mm. students um, and just engaging with them in that way and sort of seeing them like light up when they get something or when they like make connections or are collaborating really well with, with another student. That makes me really, really like giddy and excited. Um, 
And then my first love actually before literature was theater. So I'm a performer, um, was performance and acting. Um, I don't really perform much anymore, but I do love directing. I still do love um, theater and film. I have a very like, I love mixing all of the things together with like visual elements and, and the writing and the, you know, just the music, the sound, like all of that working together to create like a film or even to create a theatrical production um, is really exciting to me. Um, I'm much more of like a theater goer now, like I'm the, you know, I sit and watch in the audience <laughs> and not so much a theater maker as much, but um, but I am really passionate and excited about that. And, and I love travel. Travel is a huge inspiration for me in my writing and it just fuels like my creativity. Um, I was a military brat, so I'm used to just like not sitting in one place for too long. Um, uh, you know, I've settled in Texas, but I, I definitely love to like get out there and, and see new places and sights and sounds and um, a big foodie. I'm also inspired by food. It, food always makes its way into my work. So I'm always, I love to experience new flavors um, and textures and foods from different cultures. Um, so yeah, those those are kind of the things that that I'm passionate about. If you can be passionate about food, I guess I guess you can, yeah. Oh, oh you can. <laughs> Definitely can be about food. Yes, absolutely. Um, what do you teach? Uh, mostly writing. Uh, I, I right now I work for a low residency MFA creative writing program. So I do work oh. with adults at the moment. Um, but I have in the past mostly taught creative writing, literature, and theater um, when I taught okay. in like the K through twelve. Um, okay. Yeah. Very cool. So then you talk about theater and a love of theater. So I have to ask. Uh, any slam poetry or spoken word poetry in, in your background. And um, the other question that always comes along with that is, do you find that it is different writing for the stage than it is writing for the page? <sighs> How much time we got? Okay, so I'll start with <laughs> As that. much time as you would like. <laughs> I'll start with the first part of the question. Yes, I actually did start um, you know, my poetry foray um, as a spoken word poet um, and actually before that in middle and high school I did um, what we call UIL as uh, competitive poetry basically like speech team um, but I did I was always like reciting poems by other famous authors and things like that and um, did okay um, I don't think it was the kind of poetry they expected or or were used to hearing um, you know because I was I was I was doing sort of you know either the beat poets or New Yorkian poets or a little bit of my Angelou some Langston Hughes and I think they were hoping for Robert Frost or something um, in those competitions. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but I loved it. I've always loved reciting poetry yeah, and reading poetry. And so then in, in college, I got into um, the local slam team, not the team, but I had the slam scene, excuse me. And I was never on an actual team. I don't want to misrepresent any of my accomplishments. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I did compete a few times in a, in a, for a couple of years in some slams, um, never consistently enough to like earn enough points to get on a team. I just wasn't like dedicated. <laughs> um, I was more there just cause I loved, you know, sharing my work and, and being on stage in front of folks and, and sharing my stories. Um, so yeah, I did that for a few years. Um, did the open mic scene for over a decade, just hitting up different open mic spots, um, and performing poetry. And then I stumbled upon publishing um, kind of by accident, which always feels weird to say, because I know some people who are always like, oh, I've submitted, you know, 20,000 things and gotten 60,000 rejections. Um, well, I was I took a memoir writing class in college and the professor ended up uh, collecting an anthology of student work, basically, and she submitted it to a publisher and they accepted it. And so she had asked me, she's like, would you be interested in having one of your pieces published in this anthology? And I had no expectation, no anticipation, no desire at that time in 2007 to even to ever publish anything. 
I was very much a like, no, I reach more people when I perform on the stage. Like, who even reads books anymore? You know, like, I love books, but I was like, <laughs> no, nobody, like, picks up a poetry book, right? Like, that was my sort of mind frame. Like, nerds like me pick up poetry books, but the average person wasn't. And the way that I could affect change and, you know, have my words reach people was on stage. So I just never considered publishing. Um, and, you know, and at the time, and still, like, it was ripe with, like, dead white dudes. So I was like, no one's going to publish, like, a Black Latina from the South. Like, who wants this? But yeah, interestingly enough, um, you know, that that first piece was published in that anthology and like the rush of seeing my name and words in print, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I do want this, you know? Um, and so that kind of began my journey into, you know, more of the publishing side. And I think that here's my take on page versus stage poetry and, and work. Um, I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> a lot of thoughts, um, because I think that that anything can be performed, right? So you you can, if you have the skill and the talent and the ability to perform a haiku, like you could perform a haiku, you could perform a sonnet, right? It's not necessarily about that. I th I think I think you know, and, and I very much still believe that, like I imbue my work with a sense of emotional integrity and authenticity when I even when I'm reading it directly off the page. Um, but I do know, and I do think that there are certain structures and forms in particular about, you know, what we call or know as like slam poetry or spoken word poetry um, and sort of certain rhythms and expectations that audience members have of that genre and style of poetry um, that, that do make it different than perhaps writing for the page in some regard, but there is still a craft, which is what I think people fail to understand. They think that like, oh, you just go up on stage and you rant, or you can write a string of words together with a couple of images and some extended metaphors, and that's a poem. But like, no, there are there's a true craft to be able to to write work that is performable. And and then the best poets are also able to make it live well on the page. You know, um, I think of Juan Felipe Herrera, whose work on the page is written the way that he intends it to be performed. Like he's teaching you how to read his work and how to perform his work aloud by the way that it's written on the page. And I think that that's masterful and beautiful and and like really amazing to be able to do that. Um, you know, and, and I, I struggle, you know, I, I try. <laughs> I won't say that I'm definitely, I'm definitely not Juan Felipe Herrera level <laughs> yet, but I, I definitely do keep that in mind. And I think about, you know, is, is this a piece that I want perhaps others to, to know how to perform on a stage? Or is it something that I know is only really gonna live on the page and and rather than on the stage, et cetera? You know, kind of, so I, I do think about that um, often. And, um, and having recently written a play in verse with a series of persona poems in the text, um, I've, I've worked really hard to think about the formatting and how the, the poems live on the page to help kind of give instructions to the actors who will eventually perform these, you know, these verse pieces, these verse monologues, so that they know like, what is my motivation? What is my intention? What is kind of like the pacing and the rhythm um, and the intonation, right? The emphasis that I should have on certain words um, and doing different things with formatting, you know, on the page to kind of give hints to that and clues to the actors um, since I'm not the one that'll be performing it, you know? Ah, I um, love that. That's long answer. See, that's why I was like, how long you got? <laughs> no, it's it's so cool because there have been a there have been a number of poets we've talked to over the last year who who have talked about that theater experience as well. Mm -hmm. um, so then as we kind of move into the, the idea of process, is there a different process then uh, for writing a play and like a, an actual play 
than mm -hmm. there is to sitting down and writing, you know, a, a chapbook uh, or you know, a collection of poems. What do you find to be uh, to be the difference? Given that everything, you know, will will always go under the umbrella of everything's a persona poem, unless yeah. um, unless unless somebody <laughs> tells me otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Do you, is there for you? Is there a difference in how you approach those two? Yeah, I mean, I think so. This was a unique experience with with creating this play in verse because it began and it still is. It's, it's in both forms. It is a collection of poems. It comes out in August, and it is and then another shape. It's it's a it's a play in verse. And I will say that the difference between the two, there are different freedoms and different restrictions with with both the play version and the poetry collection version. And for me, one of the most difficult things with with constructing it and sort of reform reframing it into a play in verse was like this wild notion of plot. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, wait, they have to like, something has to happen. It can't just be people talking at you. Uh, what? <laughs> there has to be uh, conflict you know. and resolution. I'm sorry. It, you know, whereas like a collection, of, least, a collection you know. of persona poems is like, here's random people speaking, you know, they're all kind of interconnected, but you don't have right. to follow like a succinct timeline, you know what I mean? And and it definitely like, I reconciled all of that in, in both versions and, and there is a plot even in the poetry collection itself to kind of to follow, because it is, a, it's a, it's based on a historical, and a historical event. Um, so that in itself is like the plot, right? Like we're following the events of the history of the story that was told. Um, but there were things that I had to like, relationships between characters that I had to figure out and transitions between one scene to the next and, you know, using my theater background to help make sense of it. Cause in my mind, I was like, they just appear and they start talking and they're in the forest. I don't know. You know, like I was, just, and I, you know, after many revisions, you we were like, so how did we get from here to there? And what's that, you know? And so kind of like those, that part to me was, was new because I've, I've mostly only worked in poetry and memoir and right. in memoir, like my life narrative is, is the plot right like I know how to follow that but like yeah. constructing this new made up it's up to me you know and and finding whatever plot holes might exist or making sure that there is kind of a a, a clear narrative or emotional arc to to the characters and to the piece and and character you know all of these things right like where do we start where do we end up it's you just don't necessarily have the same kind of of questions that you ask yourself in, in like a sync like a collection of poems right you definitely I think even collections of poetry and chapbooks should have arcs and should lead us on some kind of an emotional right. journey for sure. Um, but like I said, I don't, you're not kind of working for me anyway, I, I'm not working within like a, what is the plot? And is that, you know, is there a plot hole or is there a, you know, like all of that. And so I think that yeah. was, that's been the trickiest um, part for me to like, it's, it's been a learning process ultimately is what it's been. It's a huge, been a huge learning curve for me. Um, and the fact that I stepped away from theater, from like actual theater for so long, um, literally over a decade before, like I didn't even, I wouldn't see play, read, like I just kind of, I just, it just wasn't a part of my life anymore, really. Um, I, I was so deep into poetry and, and writing memoir. So coming back to it, I'm like, oh, I gotta like relearn, you know, it's like kind of relearning how to ride a bike, like, oh, I'm not so, my knees ain't so good no more. Like, <laughs> just, you know, you feel, you feel real rusty out for a little while yeah. at, at the start. Um, do you think the because you mentioned like the the historical nature of of you know kind of keeping a plot because there is a history an actual story to it because there is you know at least in the newest pieces that you're working on there is this historical you know things actually happen so therefore there is a storyline mm -hmm. um, 
do you think that has, you know, what has that done to kind of shape the poetry that you're working on? Do you find that you have to do, you know, how much research is involved in that? And because you're trying to get a some sense of, you know, historical accuracy, do you find that you have to revise, revise, revise um, to kind of craft that, uh, I guess, that historical version of what you're working on? Is it your voice or is it history, history's mm. voice? Yeah, that's, that's all great. So uh, I started this project, City Without Altar, um, in... It's, it's sort of first iteration, I want to say began in like 2015, 2016 was um, the first like, like the essay that I wrote, that was like this braided essay that then became like, I just became obsessed with this, this moment in history, um, this is attempted genocide in the Dominican Republic, along the Dominican Haitian border um, in 1937. And I just like, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't like let this history go. I was like, it just kept haunting me. And so I started writing these persona poems. Um, and I started researching and I and I reached out to academics and scholars, historians. Oh, cool. um, I went to the DR and I went to museums and I found all the books that I could, which aren't many um, on, on this moment in history. And just, you know, I dug in, I dug into the research. So yeah, it's been years and years of, of research and trying to to make sure that I'm that I'm that the persona pieces that I'm writing and the voices that I'm trying to capture are authentic and true, um, that they don't sort of live or linger in trauma porn, that they are full and whole, you know, beings um, and characters that aren't only defined by their trauma and by this violent act um, thrust upon them. Um, and to really capture like, yeah, the history, the time period, um, what actually happened is in as best as we can, given the limited amount of information that exists, right, about this moment in history. And because of the fact that, uh, you know, the dictator Trujillo um, and and the country itself just for years has tried to like suppress and stifle this history, right? Like they don't, nobody talks about it. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been a challenge, um, but it's also been like an exciting nerdy challenge for me to try to recreate and try to to amplify these voices and these experiences that um, that yeah, most people don't know about it or don't talk about it. It's a history that's not definitely not well known or really known at all in the United States and, and by folks out here. And it's a history that is still silenced and, um, kind of ignored, if you will, for lack of a better word, um, in, in, on the island of the Dominican Republic. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's also like, I, my understanding is like, I'm a poet, not a historian. So I am allowed, right, right to have that creative, um, some creative liberties, right? Um, and to reimagine things in ways that, you know, that add and provide maybe some more hope and some more joy and um you know some more complexity to to this moment in history that perhaps uh the history books aren't able to convey or to get at you know um and i think that that theater and both poetry and language um can help us access some of those um different experiences and emotions that like i said we we have to you know as humans we experience right like i think right. that like my experience of like me having a baby or breastfeeding or um, experiencing a miscarriage, right? Like it's a human experience that I can then use to inform whatever narrative or character arc I develop from these, you know, sort of reimagined historical figures, if you will, right? Awesome. Um, and I think that ultimately that's that's where I came at it from, like as a black woman, right? Talking about um, other black individuals being oppressed and, and having violence, you know, um, 
against them, right? Like I can bring that knowledge and that experience to the story um, because violence is violence, right? Um, and and trauma, there's different forms of it and different degrees of it, but um, ultimately like we, we all experience grief and suffering and loss as humans, right? And so that's kind of, that was, that's the angle and that's kind of the idea that I come at it from when, when constructing these persona pieces um, and putting together this work that, that, that has historical elements um, and, and pulls from like, right, these historical narratives. Well, I think that's a, it's a really nice segue into the idea of, of kind of pitfalls along the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what have been the kind of the roadblocks uh, that you've faced and the obstacles that you faced while you've been putting together these pieces, um, maybe both uh, poetically and, and personally? Um, you know, how has it changed who you are? And do you think you've use those obstacles to better your your poetry and your work or are you still kind of trying to figure them out yeah i mean i think ultimately one of the biggest obstacles for me just logistically speaking was the fact that that nobody does nobody wants to talk about this history and so i often hit roadblocks of just trying to like you know especially early on research you know what happened and and even you know my own family members and my grandparents like what they went through just during the dictatorship it was a 30 year long dictatorship. And my, my grandparents basically were like raised in it. They were born in the 1930s and he left power in 1960. So their entire childhood, half of their adult life into their thirties, right? They were under this oppressive dictatorship. And so even getting to t- getting them to talk about it um, at the, early on was was difficult. And, and I only got a few stories here and there. And then what ended up happening is be- because this has taken such a long time, um, I, I only had three living grandparents at the time when I started the research. And in these last what, five, seven years, the last three remaining grandparents have died. And so even wow. as before I could sort of finish asking questions and gaining more, you know, knowledge and courage to kind of um, to speak to them, they've all they've all passed away. And so I'm like, oh, now there's this even more gaping hole, but also more of a reason why it's so important for me that this book exists, because this is like this is part of their legacy. This is part of their history. This is part of, you know, um, of who, who they were and, and, um, you know, what they remembered. And so, um, so that was a part of it. I think to the, um, uh, you know, at times like the, the language barrier in the sense, because so in Dominican Republic, we speak Spanish, um, in, in Haiti, they speak French Creole. And so, um, I have included some of that language, in in the in the poems themselves to be authentic to that sort of border life experience um but i don't speak haitian creole (laughs) and so uh that's that's you know logistically also been sort of a challenge to kind of like make sure i'm being true and authentic and that it makes sense Mm. you know um just grammatically and and even um emotionally write some of the the phrases i don't use too much of it but I, i i did want to embed it in there um and so kind of learning that and learning about you know more haitian culture and that kind of a thing um, it's also just been really fascinating to me and really interesting because um, again, I want to ensure that that I'm keeping that some some you know culturally like tr- truthful to the to the culture um, as best as I can. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's been anything else. I feel like you know definitely at times there's there's that self doubt of like, am I the right person to be telling this story? And um, I have to imagine that say. the. Like- <laughs> Yeah, I have to imagine that the idea of imposter syndrome, especially when you are writing parts of things from, uh, you know, from 
know, a language and a culture that, that mm-hmm. maybe you don't have all of the information about the research that goes mm-hmm. into that is, is pretty impressive to be able mm-hmm. to get past that, that idea of, you know, are you writing it as you, or are you writing it as, as, right. you know, the characters authentically? That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the ways uh, that I, Oh, go ahead, no, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the ways that I was kind of able to, to work through that was, was that in both the poetry collection and in the play in verse, right. there is a character that kind of is me in some ways, um, but that you're able to see, right, the reason why, right, she's sort of, at least in the play version, why she's exploring this history and why she's asking oh. it's her grandmother in the, in the play, asking her grandmother these questions about the massacre and, and the attempted genocide and what was life like. And so she sort of speaks as like a, again, as, as her own historian, like she's trying to piece together her ancestry and her background to better understand herself. Um, and in the poetry collection, the I in those pieces is me. Um, and ultimately, you know, it came, this this exploration and, and this work came from, for me, from the question of like, why and where does like Dominican anti-Blackness and self-hate of our Blackness like come from? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And so much of that to me pointed back to this time period and to this history and even to this one, one very specific moment in history because the attempted genocide of the Haitians was because of their skin color and their culture and how they are darker than Dominicans, et cetera. And so um, that it really began Trujillo's Dominicanization of the island and trying to make us be as different from, you know, Haitians as possible, et cetera. And it's something that is still pervasive and continues through today. And it was something within myself that that I've had to unlearn and that I've had to like come to, to, to grips with and like understand my own internal biases, my own anti-Blackness, my own self-hate that I lived with for decades. Um, and so I think part of the work of this book was also me just like, breaking that shit down you know <laughs> just like sort of just tearing it apart yeah, yeah. and just like a reckoning of, for myself also um and and yeah and 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 obviously you know i think this history is important because yeah it's it's ideals that still exist all over the world today right anti-blackness yeah. is not unique to the dr or to america like it's it's everywhere and so i think that making folks aware of this history is important to to t- start talking and talking more deeply about these these topics. Ah, oh, that's awesome! I'm really excited to. I'm really excited for this. Uh, that said, um, what are you excited for? Uh, who are you reading right now? Who's just kind of getting you going? And then, where can we find uh, your work? And how can yeah. we get people there? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I just well, this week I've only been reading my students' manuscripts because. <laughs> I have papers to grade, but no, uh, recently I uh, did, I dove into Soma Sharif's new book, Customs, read it in one sitting, brilliant, so good, so good. Um, I've also, I also started, I haven't finished it, but War Sunshire's new book, and I don't have the title with me, it has a slightly longer title, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I think her first one was teaching, her chapbook was teaching my mother how to give birth, but um mm. I'll see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. But Wars and Shire's new book and what else have I read? I don't have too much time to read with a toddler around, um, but, but I definitely try. So um, that doesn't yeah. get any easier as they get older, so. <laughs> it doesn't? Oh, no. <laughs> I was hoping it would. Um, Find time I will while, also... they're, while they're playing video games. <laughs> there you go. Um, I will just give a shout out to, to Susan Briante's Defacing the Monument. That is one that I, I read last summer, but oh. I keep coming back to it. It's a docu-poetic work. Um, 
and it's just brilliant it's it's so good like what she does with like images and math like it's just it's so good i can't even explain it it's just so good <laughs> yeah okay and then what about you where can we find your work Yes, I am online at jasminemendez.com. That's two N's and an E in Jasmine. Uh, I'm not the other Jasmine Mendez. Uh, she, she has a different lifestyle than I do. Um, and I, I, yeah, social media, Instagram, Twitter, now TikTok at Jasmine Mendez also. Um, and, and yeah, you can Congratulations. find my Thank, I, It's been a thing. I, I was very resistant to TikTok, very resistant. <laughs> But now I have fully embraced it to a to a fault. <laughs> so yeah, so it's Very good. So yeah, that's cool. that's where I'm at, and you can get my books on my website as well. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out today on TPU20. Uh, I'm really excited to direct people your way, and uh, and look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.